Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Joining me today is Joe Healy, as always. And we are here to, uh, to talk about the latest news around college baseball. There, there is still college baseball news happening, uh, even as we reach uh, what should have been the end of, of the season this week would have been the College World Series finals in Omaha. Uh, so Joe and I probably will touch on that a little bit. Our, our top 25 this week on BaseballAmerica.com is the 25 best uh, College World Series most outstanding players, kind of in honor of that. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Georgia Tech coach Danny Hall. I uh, really feel like the Yellow Jackets were one of the big winners in the uh, you know, in college baseball coming out of the draft a couple weeks ago. So we're going to talk with, uh, with Danny about where Georgia Tech is now going into 2021 and, you know, what their, uh, you know, just what their whole situation is coming out of the draft as, as we, as we start looking ahead. And then Joe and I are also going to get into an update on summer ball, which is a thing that is happening around the country uh, kind of quietly, I would say right now. But, you know, le- some leagues are starting to play. More leagues are going to, you know, are, are shooting for an opening day or planning for an opening day sometime within the next week or thereabouts. Uh, so I think you're going to start hearing more about summer ball. So we're going to uh, going to give you an update on that. But first, uh, Joe, why don't uh, – why don't we start uh start like we usually do and uh you know just how are we doing here as uh as we are missing the the final days of the college baseball regular season as, as it was supposed to be well i suppose we can take solace in the fact that i think we've maybe talked about this a little bit on the air but uh trust us listener when we tell you that teddy and i have had a number of conversations off the air about how we've been frustrated that these net, net television networks have all these hours to fill and it feels like we've gotten the same eight or 10 college baseball games just reheated over and over and over again. Uh, this last couple of weeks in particular have been a nice little salve for that thanks to, I think because the College World Series was happening, so that's kind of the peg, at least from the ESPN standpoint, but they've been doing this greatest all-time team voting that, that kind of has highlighted some particular games. Um, also with the NCAA CWS Twitter account has been streaming a lot of games from the College World Series. So that's been really nice and some ones that you, you hadn't seen before in that medium. So the last couple weeks has been really nice for that. Now I haven't gotten around to watching as much of them as I would have expected or would have wanted, but it is nice to know we have that variety out there. So that has been kind of nice and has maybe helped the last couple of weeks uh, go a little bit better rather than just spending a lot of time thinking about you know, what we would have been doing in Omaha. So that, that has been nice. And if nothing else will give, I know speaking for myself, will give me some, some content to chew on a little bit as we go into 
an extended off season where we'll, to your point, and we'll talk about this later, where we'll have a little bit of summer ball, but, but we are now about to enter here in a couple of days, what would be the, the typical off season. And so while I think that, as I've said before, will help deal with not having college baseball because, well, we wouldn't have had it anyway at this point, it will also be harder because we've already kind of had an off season for several months now, and we're about to go into, you know, whatever it is, seven months of not having it at all. And just kind of, it ends up being one giant off season, but the, the, the replay games have, have been, uh, have been nice last couple of weeks. We've seen an uptick in them and also in the, the variety of them, which I think has been pretty cool. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And also kind of makes me more frustrated that they couldn't have done this earlier when I was a little more into watching archive content, uh, you know, now that there's more sporting options and I as a pretty big soccer fan can watch, you know, live soccer again. Um, or even if it's not live, I can watch like new soccer game, like the entirety of Italy's weekend is available on my ESPN plus app. Like that's what I'm primarily going to watch this week if I had to guess, um, because they're new anyway. Uh, so it, it's a little frustrating that, that they didn't roll this stuff out earlier, but better late than never, uh, certainly is, is true here. And, you know, we're, uh, we're also kind of reaching the end of our rewatch we are watching classic game series that, that we've been doing on the podcast. We were a little late with ours this week uh, or last week and it spilled over into this week. Uh, but you can hear me and John Manuel uh, making his podcast return, talk about uh, the rise of rice uh, around the turn of the century when John was uh, on the college baseball beat. You might know John more as our, our editor, former editor in chief now uh, pro scout for the Minnesota twins. But, uh, 20 years ago, he was he was doing what we're doing, where he was covering college baseball. So uh, he was great to talk about uh, the rise of Rice with, and really just a remarkable story when you think about it. That you know, Rice, uh, this one of the smallest institutions that plays FBS football. Um, I think it's only the service academies and Tulsa are smaller, and yet they become this college baseball power out of basically the blue, um, re no real tradition. And, you know, we now think of them as, you know, this traditional power, but before Wayne Grand arrived in 1992, Rice was, was not that. Uh, so John and I kind of uh, went into the history of, of Rice and, uh, you know, specifically focusing on their, their time once they reached the College World Series for the first time in 97 to, to the uh, national title in 2003. So if you're looking for that, uh, it's in your podcast feed right above this show, below the show, I guess, below. Um, the one prior to this show. And while you're there, uh, if you're not subscribed to the Baseball America podcast, uh, make sure that you do so so that you don't miss any episodes, whether we, uh, you know, whenever it is we, we, we publish them and uh, they go straight to your phone and, and then they're right there for you. So Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts, we're there. Click, click the subscribe button. We really appreciate it. Uh, now, Joe, let's, uh, let's get to some Georgia tech talk. Uh, we've got Danny Hall who is about to join us. And I know this is a team you were excited about in 2020. And I know that, you know, you, you were, you were bullish on them and, they uh, they obviously had a little bit of an up and down start to the season. Maybe the only down is just that they lost that series to Georgia uh, in kind of a loud fashion. 
uh, that maybe caused us to rethink some things a little bit. But I now am bullish on them in 2021 after seeing what happened with the draft. So it's an interesting time in Georgia Tech baseball, especially if you rewind it to 2019 when they you know, were a, a, a very high national seed uh, kind of returning to you know, large national prominence for the first time in a few years. Yeah, it was a weird year a little bit in some ways. I really liked the Georgia Tech team in going into 2019, and they rewarded that confidence, but then you know, couldn't really turn that into anything in terms of, of postseason results, and that was obviously disappointing. And, yeah, I think going into 2021, I think you, know, you might actually be a little bit ahead of, of where I am. I'm on the same page in liking them in the abstract. I think you might be a little bit, bit ahead of them, but, but I think that's just – you know, small degrees of, of difference there. It's a good roster mix. I think that's kind of what stands out to me because you, you have a guy, you know, like, like Will Height, Waddell, guys who have been there a really long time. But I think one of the things that got maybe on last year's team, I, I think what, how do I phrase this? Looking back on last year, I think you're right. That, that the way they played against Georgia was disappointing. And I think that that caused us for sure. And I think just at the, the, the college baseball populace at large to kind of jump off that bandwagon a little bit. I think they would have come back a little bit. I still think they would have been contenders to some degree in the ACC, even if maybe not on the level of a Louisville, for example, but I still think they would have been contenders in the ACC. And I think one of the things that maybe will get glossed over a little bit because the season was shortened was that while yes, they did have some big names in, in Waddell and, and Baron Radcliffe and, Michael Goldberg was playing really well, probably would have continued to be a big name there. But they also had a really young core in a lot of places. And, you know, on the pitching staff, it was a guy like, like Zach Maxwell. On the lineup, it was Stephen Reed and Drew Compton. So it wasn't just that, hey, this was a veteran team coming back after a lot of success in 2019. There was a really exciting young group of players there that I think are going to be better going into 2021. Now, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty about that because summer ball being what it is this year and uncertainty about what the fall is actually going to look like that I'm actually curious just on a, in a, in a broader picture about what kind of player development do we see from the kids who were, who were freshmen or for that matter, the kids who didn't get a high school season who are going to be freshmen in 2021, what we see from them. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty across the board about all of that. So I say all that to say, Georgia Tech continues to recruit well. They recruited well going into last year, obviously, with what we saw from those guys early on. And then the cherry on top is that, you know, we'll talk about this with, with Coach Hall. They, did, they came out pretty well from a draft standpoint. Now, not completely unscathed, but they came out fairly well. And so I think you're going to have a really balanced roster that I think bodes well for not just success in 2021, but I think maybe we're starting to see a little run here where Georgia Tech could be a real threat for 21, 22, 23, and potentially beyond. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, you know, they've they've definitely built some momentum. They've got a really strong recruiting class coming in that builds on a top 20 class a year ago. And, um, you know, I, I think that the the staff there is, is finding themselves, um, you know, as they, they come together as a, as a new group. So exciting times at Georgia Tech. There is, there is reason to think there's momentum uh, within that program right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, that, that's really fun just to see, 
uh, Georgia Tech kind of gained back to where they were, you know, a, a decade or so ago, um, you know, and into this decade in the early part, they, they took a, they, they had a few tough years there missing the NCAA tournament, but it, it does seem like they're, they're on their way back. And, and that's, uh, that's good news for, for the Yellow Jackets and, and for their fans. And so let's get into all of that now with Georgia Tech head coach, Danny Hall. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to welcome in Georgia Tech head coach, Danny Hall. Uh, coach, it's uh, it's almost July now. It, it, it's kind of amazing how, uh, how we, we've finally reached uh, what should have been the end of the college baseball season, but uh, we're, we're moving into summer. How, uh, how have you been doing this spring in, in kind of uh, a very weird spring with, uh, with no baseball for what I imagine is the first time in a long time for you? Yeah, it's been, uh, it has been weird. Uh, and, and to think that, uh, you know, we only got, I think, 16 games, something like that in, and then uh, the whole season was shut down. But, uh, you know, we can kind of see what's going on around us. And, you know, now you're just looking forward to uh, hopefully getting a chance to get back out there this fall, have our kids on campus, and try to prepare for uh, the next season. But, it's, uh, you know, it's gone from kind of the shock of it initially to uh, just trying to, you know, look ahead, plan ahead. Uh, you know, you definitely feel horrible for your guys that were uh, seniors that have decided not to come back. Feel kind of horrible for some of your uh, juniors that probably would have been drafted if the draft would have been longer than five rounds. So, you know, it's... Uh, it certainly created a lot of moving parts, uh, but you know I think now that we're past the draft and July is approaching, it, it's look ahead to uh, you know what your roster is going to look like this fall, and uh, just try to figure out you know the development piece of you know what are we going to be able to do with them, when are we going to be able to do it, and uh, and then start progressing towards 2021. You mentioned the draft. That was about two weeks ago now, and you had two players taken, uh, you know, Goldberg and, and Radcliffe. And then Jonathan Hughes uh, signed as a free agent afterwards. But Luke Waddell opts to return. Your recruiting class remained intact. Uh, so from where I've sit, you know, it seemed like a, a pretty good draft for, for, for Georgia Tech. How, how do you feel like uh, the, the whole thing played out for you? Uh, it was a win for us, you know, to get uh, – I don't think there was any part of us that felt like we would get Luke Waddell back, uh, but that happened. So you're getting, uh, you know, a leadoff hitter, a Team USA shortstop, a guy that's played, uh, you know, shortstop for us. He's the captain of our team. So to get a guy back like that, uh, you know, you just – it went from the unexpected to the expected, I guess. So – that was a big boost uh, just because of everything he brings to the table from not only being a good player, but being a leader. Uh, you know, he's an academic All-American. Uh, so, so that was a big bonus uh, to get all the draft picks. And we had some guys that, uh, you know, probably walked away from a chance to be drafted and a chance to put some money in their pocket uh, to getting all those guys here. Uh, and then the one that we haven't talked about, uh, getting Brant Herter back, who, you know, I think uh, is one of our best pitchers. So to get him back and have more time to recover from Tommy John surgery, 
Uh, looks like, you know, he'll be ready to go 100% in the fall. And it'll be just kind of a normal buildup for him into uh, 2021. So, you know, when you consider Waddell and Herder and throw them into that uh, recruiting class, it's a really, really talented class that I think can make us a lot better. So you come out of the draft in, in a positive way, and that, that positive signs the program moving forward. One of the other big positives that you guys have going on right now is renovations going on at Russ Chandler. And, and I saw one of your assistants, James Ramsey, actually post on Twitter not that long ago today images of kind of the construction you guys have going on there as you move into phase two of this long project for Russ Chandler. What has you most excited for these facility renovations? Well, I think uh, all of it has, has me excited. So a few years ago, we had, uh, you know, totally renovated our locker room, training room, uh, players lounge, uh, study lounge. Uh, so we had done that a few years ago. So phase two is uh, brand new cages, which will be underneath uh, the stadium. <coughs> Excuse me. So they'll be underneath the stadium. That will include kind of a pitching, hitting, uh, player development lab uh, that will have high-speed cameras in it. Uh, they'll have sensors in it. We'll have force plates. Uh, and and the good thing about Ramsey and then having Danny Burrell is that those guys are very tech savvy. So they know uh, they know kind of what's out there. They know how to use it. Uh, so I think from a player development model. Uh, you know, these underneath cages and pitching kind of lab is just going to, uh, you know, really take our development of our players to a different level. And then for the fans, they're going to be, uh, you know, a couple new pieces of uh, kind of a, a uh, you know, home plate, a Ramblin' Rec home plate club. Uh, there'll be a uh, kind of Hall of Fame area that will showcase uh, the many great players that we've had here over the years. Uh, there'll be some expanded uh, kind of, uh, I'm stuck on the word, but, but just some really neat seating areas that would include uh, access to some drinks, food, things like that. So all told, it's, uh, you know, it's a great project and, you know, they've broken ground. They, they, they've literally got the building that was uh, up above left field is completely torn down. So now it's just digging all the rubble out, hauling it off, and then they'll, uh, you know, start uh, pouring some concrete and put some steel in the ground to, uh, you know, make what, what they're going to make. You mentioned your assistants there with Ramsey and, and Burrell, uh, both fairly new to the program, and, and you talk about them really being able to dive in on the, the tech side of things. What have those guys brought to your program and what have been the biggest things you've seen they've been able to, to bring in, whether it's the understanding of that tech side and kind of revolutionizing that for you guys or something else altogether? I'm curious your view on that. Well, Ramsey, this would have been his, uh, his second year. So a year ago, I thought he just made a tremendous difference with, uh, you know, some culture things, but more just uh, he's very relatable to our players. Uh, he was a great player himself and had just finished uh, playing. He was a very smart player. So I think just from a hitting standpoint, just, uh, you know, brought in a new set of eyes, uh, brought in uh, a lot of stuff with approach. Uh, then, I, you know, we mentioned the technology. So, you know, he's very astute at, um, you know, looking at 
launch angles and TrackMan numbers and just, you know, building, using that to build, uh, you know, a hitter and build our players. So uh, then on the, the other side of that is that he's an excellent recruiter and he, uh, he he's relentless in recruiting. He's done a tremendous job, uh, I think, of, you know, just in a short time of bringing in some really, really uh, good players for us. And then with Burrell, uh, you know, having been the, the New York Yankees pitching coordinator for five years, he had basically seen everything there is out there on the pitching side of it from technology development. Uh, he was in charge, I think, of 180 pitchers in the Yankee system. Uh, and, and so his knowledge about pitching, the way he goes about his business, uh, I think is just outstanding. We were starting to see that we had a, you know, kind of a young inexperienced staff this year. We were throwing a lot of freshmen and I think they were just getting ready to, uh, to hit their stride when, uh, when we got shut down, but he's made a big impact more than anything on recruiting. We are, uh, you know, just able to, you know, get on phone calls, get in living rooms with, uh, you know, pitchers that, you know, maybe we, we weren't on their uh, radar, so to speak in years past, but Burrell has put us uh, just in a uh, kind of different window uh, from a recruiting perspective, uh, just because of who he is and how good he is and the reputation he has. So, you know, that's a long answer, but I think both of them are uh, just outstanding coaches. Uh, and I've always, you know, with my guys, certainly I'll oversee a lot, but, you know, I kind of want them to uh, coach the way they want to coach, coach within their, uh, you know, what they're comfortable doing. And uh, I'll oversee it and step in when I have to. But for the most part, uh, you know, I, I want them to do things the way they want to get it done. You mentioned wanting to, you know, move on to fall ball now and, and trying to figure out what kind of stuff you were going to be able to do developmentally and, and the rest of that. How do you now view uh, the summer? I know some players are, are able to play some summer ball this summer, but how do you view the summer? And then what are you looking to have the, this fall to kind of account for this extended uh, shutdown period that, that everyone went through? Well, I think, you know, a few guys hopefully will get a chance to uh, to play. I know uh, there were some rumors today that the Sunbelt League maybe was not going to go. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the rumor flying this morning. Uh, so hopefully that goes because we do have a lot of local players that would be able to take advantage of uh, certainly playing in that league. And, you know, particularly for hitters, young hitters, you hope that they can get some live at bats uh, for sure. We do have a few pitchers, but uh, Burrell has kind of put our pitchers in more of a uh, little bit of a rest, a uh, little bit of a uh, probably lifting and conditioning, and then going to try to build them up so that when – when, if and when <laughs> we uh, can get them back on campus here in mid-August that we're kind of ready to go with uh, probably a lot of live ABs initially. Uh, but then uh, when, when we can get into the team portion of it, uh, I think we'll play way more inter-squad games than we've ever played because we'll have a chance to build our pitchers up a little bit, uh, get our hitters more at-bats, and try to make up for just, you know, the games that not only we missed during the season, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys missing games and at-bats and innings uh, this summer. So 
fall for me, as long as we can be on campus and practice normal, whatever normal is now, uh, I think we'll just be a heavy, uh, heavy playing and inner squad uh, once we get going. Obviously, the result on the field wasn't what you wanted, but you know this year you or this past season you played Georgia on the weekend for the first time in in a long, long time and. I'm curious how you thought that went, uh, how, what you thought of that format, and you know the prospects of that being something that continues into perpetuity. Well, I think it went well. I mean, even though we we lost all three games, so you're never uh, never happy about that. But uh, you know, we had a chance in the game against Hancock on Friday in Athens, and uh, you know, had a leadoff double in the uh, you know in the ninth, and and then ended up not scoring to tie that game. So. Felt like we were competitive there. And then uh, on Saturday, Cole Wilcox just, I mean, you know, everybody says it's probably the best that he's ever thrown. I mean, he just threw one of those games that, uh, you know, probably didn't matter who was in that box that day, uh, he was going to win because he, he had great velocity, had command of everything, and he dominated us. And then on Sunday, we just didn't play well on Sunday. They, they played good. Tucker Bradley, uh, you know, had some big hits in that game. And, uh, and that was at Gwinnett. And our, our plan was initially the game was going to be at Truist Park where the Braves play. Uh, but uh, they were not able to get their field uh, ready to go. So we ended up playing it in Gwinnett at the AAA Park. So definitely a nice atmosphere. Gwinnett did a really good job with the game. Uh, but our guys, and I'm sure their guys, were looking forward to getting a chance to play in uh, – you know, truest part, and that didn't happen. So I think moving forward, I, I, I think it's great. Uh, you know, I fully expect us to be more competitive uh, the next go round. But uh, I think all told, to put a lot of focus on, you know, college baseball uh, in Georgia uh, that weekend. And, uh, you know, so I thought it was good. Beyond being, you know, bitter rivals with Georgia, you have uh, a connection with, with coach Scott Strickland, you know, who of course was, was an assistant for you. And um, you guys are both Kent state guys, uh, you know, going back to, to, you know, previous jobs. Uh, what's your relationship like with Scott and, and what's it like being on, uh, on opposite side of the rivalry with him now? Uh, yeah, we do have, I mean, it's, it's a really good connection in that, uh, you know, he was a catcher for me, uh, at Kent State, and a really good one. Uh, we, we go back farther than that. So, so I grew up in Athens County, Ohio, in a little small town there. Strick grew up in at, kind of the Plains, Ohio, but Athens, Ohio. And, uh, you know, we used to think, not that we ever bragged about it, that maybe we were the best baseball players ever to come out of the county. Uh, or maybe even best athletes, but I think we got one up this year by Mr. Joe Burrow when he uh, decided he was going to win the national championship, uh, be the first pick of the draft, and, oh, by the way, uh, I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy. So Strick and I can no longer claim much in Athens County, but, uh, you know, we go back that far. And, uh, you know, my parents and his parents will, you know, occasionally go to dinner uh, so, you know, I would just say it was a tight bond with that being said, uh, now we're very competitive and we're competitors and he wants to win and I want to win. So, you know, I wouldn't say that we're talking to each other all the time, but we're definitely, uh, friendly to each other, respect each other. 
but we're both trying to do the best we can for our schools, uh, you know, to win series and win regionals and hopefully get out there to Omaha to uh, try to win a World Series. But, uh, you know, the Kent State thing was, uh, was real, and, I, and I'll say this. So the first two catchers I had at Kent State, one was Greg Beals, head coach at Ohio State, and the second one was Scott Strickland, head coach at Georgia. So I think, uh, you know, I, I probably made some good decisions when I recruited those guys to Kent State. Yeah, that, that Kent State connection is uh, is impressive and, and just what, what Kent State has been, you know, under you as well, but just what they've continued to be. You know, of course, uh, Strickland was a part of that, you know, leading them to Omaha and everything. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice little cradle of coaching uh, that, that's happening there at Kent State. It is. You know, I was very, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I had a great athletic director there, and I had a great president at the time, uh, Michael Schwartz, at believed in baseball and convinced the Mid-American Conference that at that time they had a cap on scholarships. So you're only allowed to have eight scholarships. And at that time we had 13. Uh, so he convinced all the other presidents in the Mid-American Conference to take the cap off. And if they wanted to go to 13, they could, if they didn't, uh, they didn't have to, but when they voted, they, they voted and passed it. Uh, my president, Michael Schwartz, took the cap off, put us at 13 scholarships, which allowed us uh, scholarship-wise to just, you know, recruit a lot deeper uh, and primarily there in the state, a little bit of western Pennsylvania. Uh, and then they built an indoor building there at Kent State. They were probably one of the first Mid-American Conference schools that had an indoor football building with a track in it. We had four cages in there that, you know, would go up and down. And it just put our program on a, at a whole different level in terms of recruiting, scholarship money, and then development with a great indoor building, which you need up there because the weather can be uh, horrible at Kent State, as they say. Uh, yes, as, as a Cleveland native, I, I certainly understand <laughs> you, that. You fully, you fully get the lake effect. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> So in 1994, you escaped the, the lake effect snow and you, you left Kent State for, for Georgia Tech where you've, you've been ever since. That makes you one of the longest tenured coaches uh, in the country and only John Anderson has been in a power five job uh, longer. You, you, in December now, signed a contract extension through 2023, at which point you'll have been at Georgia Tech for 30 years. What's your secret to, to that longevity? I think one, uh, you know, I'm at a special place. So Georgia Tech, uh, uh, you know, has a strong commitment to baseball. Uh, I'm in a really, really good uh, place recruiting-wise with uh, the state of Georgia kind of being, uh, you know, just a state that has really good baseball players. The Georgia Tech program was in good shape when when I got it. Jim Morris had done a fantastic job of, building the program up. And so I benefited from that. But as I tell everybody, I think, you know, to, to, to stay in it as long as I've been in it, you have to have good players and you have to have good coaches around you. And I think I've been blessed uh, really everywhere. Even at Kent State, I was blessed with, uh, you know, being able to recruit good players. I had uh, a good staff. Then I came here, and I've had a lot of great assistant coaches uh, come in here and work, and, and uh, they've moved on to, you know, being head coaches in different spots. Uh, 
but probably more than anything, it's, you know, we, we are recruiting a good player and those guys have played uh, extremely well for us uh, for many, many years. Uh, but it all starts at the top. You know, the school wants to have a good program. They've done a lot of things to uh, just, you know, keep moving our program forward. Uh, and, and then, you know, we've had, had our share of success. You mentioned having really talented players and I go back to that first team you had at Georgia tech in 94, which famously had the likes of Veritech and Garcia Parra and Jay Payton. How much did it feel like when you, when you came from Kent state and walked into that locker room, how much did you realize or feel like you had been handed the keys to some sort of sports car, you know, that, that you had taken over and now it was your job to kind of keep it on course and keep it from crashing. Uh, I mean, I mean, they were ranked number one preseason. So, you know, and I, I probably got the, the cover uh, from Baseball America hanging in my hanging in my office, uh, you know, somewhere. But uh, I knew the caliber, you, you know, those three guys are, are three tremendous players. I had actually recruited Jay Payton in high school at Zanesville, Ohio. So I, I did know him. Uh, uh, prior to, you know, getting the job. And I would say he was probably instrumental in me getting an interview with Dr. Homer Rice, who was the AD at the time, uh, because we did have a, you know, previous relationship just through recruiting when I was at Kent State. But uh, those three guys were really, really good players. We had an outstanding pitcher named Brad Rigby, who also, he went in the second round that year. Uh, you know, I think won 12 or 13 games, won two games in Omaha for us. Uh, and so those four were really, really just premier players. But then there was a lot of good players on that team. What we didn't have, we did not have a lot of depth on that team. We only had 22 players. I tell people this all the time. We went to Omaha, played for the national championship with 22 players on that roster. We, we didn't have a full roster. Uh, going to Omaha. So as good as those guys were, uh, you, you know, there was a lot of juggling of pitching staff trying to keep guys healthy uh, so that you could make a run. Uh, but in terms of just raw talent, I mean, ultra talented, but I kid everybody because they, they would always say, well, you know, you had three first round picks. Brad Rigby was a second rounder, but I would always point to Kent State and I would go, look how many guys got drafted at Kent State that I left at Kent State and uh, you know and I think Dustin Hermanson was a first rounder a guy named Travis Miller was a really high pick so I left a good team but basically took over a great team. Yeah that's uh, truly you know one of the the great teams great players especially in, in Veritech of college baseball history it's it's remarkable to to look back on, and Joe and I actually watched the, the that championship game uh, recently, and it was it was just a lot of fun to see those guys play uh, in college. You know, we think of of Jason Veritek with the Red Sox and Nomar doing his thing, but to see them wearing that Georgia Tech jersey and and doing the incredible things they were doing was uh, was a lot of fun. So I, I'm sure it was a lot of fun uh, to just to walk into. But before we let you go here, just what um. You know, when, 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 let's look forward a little bit here as, as you, as you look to 2021, you know, that the team looks very solid on paper. What, what do you feel like, you know, where, where do you feel like the momentum is uh, going into 2021? We talked about how good the roster can be. What, 
what are you looking for out of this team in terms of uh, being on the field again next year? Well, I think number one, we uh, we're going to have a deep, talented uh, pitching staff with better arms and many more of them than we have uh, have ever had. Uh, you know, I already mentioned we've got you know certainly Brand Herder will if he's healthy and throwing good is going to be. If not Friday night, he's definitely a weekend starter. Uh, Court Rodig is a guy that I think could be a high draft pick uh, next year. We had a, a couple freshmen that got a lot of innings this year. Zach Maxwell, I think, is a guy that, uh, you know, he may throw 100 someday. We just need him to kind of harness and get, you know, just more in the uh, strike zone. Uh, Andy Archer is a veteran pitcher that, uh, you know, certainly will have uh, – uh, a prominent role, uh, and there's several other guys. I mean, we pitched, like I said, a lot of uh, – just a lot of different guys, uh, you know, this year, and, and most of them probably are juniors, uh, you know, now. The the ones that were freshmen will be sophomores. Uh, and then we're stopping, in my opinion, two pretty good arms in as uh, transfers. Uh, so we're getting a kid uh, named Chance Huff from Vanderbilt that uh, – you know, just I think was looking for, uh, you know, looking for a, a new opportunity. Uh, and so I think he's he's got a lot of talent, uh, count, kind of counting on uh, Danny Burrell to develop him. And then we're getting a grad transfer from Rhodes College, which uh, kind of sounds a little strange, but uh, the kid's name is John Medich, and he was coming off of Tommy John. So he was a senior at Rhodes this year. And uh, I had kind of been told about the time that we were getting shut down that this kid was interested in uh, a graduate program at Georgia Tech. And, uh, and it's, uh, the program that he's going to go into is one of the best uh, programs uh, for this in the country. Uh, and so we kind of looked into him a little bit. Well, he was bumping some 95s to 97s at Rhodes uh, this year and was just really kind of starting to get where his innings would get expanded. Uh, so I think both those guys are just going to give us uh, some depth. Uh, they'll, they'll give us some older guys that have, uh, you know, pitched some certainly uh, in college. Uh, and then we're getting another transfer from Vanderbilt uh, named uh, <laughs> Justin Henry Malloy, uh, who – uh, was a you know, pretty highly ranked guy coming out of uh, New Jersey in high school and uh, played sparingly kind of his freshman year, was kind of sharing some time uh, this year. Uh, but last summer he was an all-star in the uh, New England Collegiate League and hit, I think, like 330 or 320, had seven home runs, a bunch of RBIs, and had a bunch of walks. And uh, and we kind of look at him being a guy that could come in and play third for us. So we already had a good recruiting class. So to get certainly Waddell back and get Herter back and then add, uh, you know, those three transfers, I think it just deepens uh, our team. But if you go around the, the horn on our team, uh, so my son is back. He'll be – this will be his fourth year uh, starting for us. Uh, uh, Waddell would be our shortstop. Austin Wilhite is back. He's the one senior that's coming back uh, that is uh, uh, going to be, uh, you know, be back. So, you know, feel like we have 
good enough position players, uh, but have a deep pitching staff. Um, and then the three, you know, I, I hate just singling these three guys out, but uh, Kevin Parada was a highly ranked catcher. And, uh, you know, we like to think we're catcher you sometimes with the number of catchers we've had come here and be high, uh, high draft picks. Uh, so he's going to certainly challenge another guy that was a freshman this year, Jake Holland, for starting time. Uh, we have uh, Marquise Grissom, Jr., who is uh, Marquise Grissom's senior son. He's a pitcher that I think will, uh, you know, just add a lot of value to our team. And then a kid named Kevin Parada, uh, who, again, uh, probably walked away from some money to uh, – you know, come in here. So he'll take certainly the two guys we lost, both outfielders. So, you know, I think that uh, there'll be some competition for spots, but Jake DeLeo uh, would be the one outfielder that I think can uh, jump in there. We had a freshman this year that played very well, just coming off the bench course and Tres Gonzalez. And then we have a few more just young outfielders that, uh, you know, I think will challenge for uh, playing time out there. And, uh, so we're excited. Feel like you know we have uh, some pieces for sure, and uh, you know we just gotta gotta get them in here and uh, and get going uh, in the fall. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're back on campus. Absolutely, that's uh, that that's priority number one. And then once once that happens, hopefully we can see the the Yellow Jackets back out on the field because I share your excitement. I think it can be a fun spring. Uh, it down there in Atlanta and uh, we sure would would love to see it next year you know we're excited I said this though and you guys know uh, there's gonna be a lot of good baseball teams in college baseball next year just because not we weren't the only ones that you know got some guys back that maybe you didn't think you were gonna get so I think that uh, you know it could just be a real uh, interesting dynamic year for college baseball Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to it. And we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us here on the, the Baseball America College podcast. Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Wish you guys continued uh, success. Thank you again to Georgia Tech coach Danny Hall for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, the, uh, you know, we talked about it before, uh, you know, we, we, we got to the interview just how we feel like there's a sense of momentum there. And, you know, a lot of that for me go, has to do with the way they're recruiting. But I think that, you know, it goes beyond that, that, you know, yes, that's a huge lifeblood of this. And, and the fact that they have these three top, I think 250, I think Jake Delio is about 250 on the BA 500, maybe a little above that. Uh, recruits coming in is, is very significant. Uh, and to, to mesh with a strong freshman class and, and everyone else that, that's returning there on the flats. But, you know, when you talk about the development of, of the program, the, both in a facility sense, what they have going on there, and, you know, the fact that Danny Hall has now turned over his coaching staff and brought in two guys and James Ramsey and Danny Burrell, who are both very, very much involved in, you know, some of the newer technology and analytics that that come along in baseball and um you know James Ramsey is really getting after it on the recruiting trail as recruiting coordinator and you know Danny Burrell is as well but it seems like there's just a lot of energy there and and some new thoughts and 
you know, for a coach who's been at the school for 25 years, I mean, I find that to be pretty cool to see and, and just the way that, you know, they, they're also being able to capitalize on, on some of this momentum in terms of like just physical facility type things. I mean, I, th- all of that coming together has me pretty encouraged about Georgia Tech's future, uh, you know, not only in the immediate, but, but in the at least medium term as well. Yeah, I think it says a lot about Danny Hall that he's willing to reevaluate and reinvent himself and his program in that way and, and really bring in guys with, with different viewpoints. And, you know, some of the articles I read when Danny Burrell was, was brought in talk about just the long conversations they had about philosophy and, and what Burrell saw in the, in the technology space and in the, the teaching and development space. And early returns on that, obviously you see it in the recruiting. You, you talked about that and, you know, some of the, the quotes from the pitchers that worked with Danny Burrell in the fall and in the, in the lead up to the season in 2020 spoke glowingly about how their eyes had just kind of been opened to kind of this whole new world uh, out there. And a guy like Jonathan Hughes, for example, I mean, I would have really liked to have seen what he would do over a full season because we know the ability has been there and it's kind of been injuries that have held him back. But what a healthy Jonathan Hughes plus working with some of this technology that could really systematically attack, you know, some of these um, some areas in his game, what, what would have happened there. Of course, he, he ends up signing. But, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see that kind of continue as time goes on. And so I think it's really easy for someone who's been at a job for as long as Danny Hall had. And, and, and let's be honest about what we're saying here. I mean, they have improved the last couple of years, but it's not as if Georgia Tech baseball had, had fallen off of any sort of cliff. Now, they, had, they were not competing at a level that they were – in previous iterations of the program. Um, they had missed regionals a couple of times. That It was clear that they just weren't what they, what they had been in the past, but that they were still a good, solid program. The wheels had not fallen off. But So kudos to Danny Hall for rather than saying, you know what, I've, I just believe in what we're doing here. We just need to keep grinding. We just need to keep working at it. You know, th- this, this, this works. Looking at it and saying, well, what can I do to kind of get my program back on track and get us to competing? at a national level and he's doing those things, whether it was the hiring of assistant coaches or getting some of the renovations done at Russ Chandler. And I really like a lot of things about Russ Chandler. Uh, you know, the, some of it has nothing to do with the stadium, the backdrop, but the skyline of the city of Atlanta is great. But point being, it was, it was a stadium that was um, had serving its purpose, but it was clearly in need of some, some sprucing up. And I think some of that is in the, some of that is in the fan visible things a new entrance, for example, but a lot of it clearly was in the facilities for the players. And ultimately that's what's most important. Don't get me wrong. As a member of the media, I would like press facilities and the concourses to be, to be at a certain level and the fans would as well. But ultimately for winning games and program development, the most important stuff is what they've spent money on to make the players better. And a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself once the team, you know, is successful at a, at a whole new level. So uh, all that stuff is kind of happening. So you're right. I think, there's a lot of momentum in this program. Some of it is, some of it has been a slow burn, the facilities piece specifically. Some of it has been more immediate where you really do see that recruiting success and a higher level of player ending up at Georgia Tech. And, and I'm certainly excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you, I mean, Georgia Tech is just one of those brands within college baseball that, you know, you're used to being, uh, you know, one of the powerhouses. And so for them to, to make these steps to, 
you know, get back to, you know, the, the, the pinnacle there is, you know, it, it, I, I think it's good for the ACC. I think obviously it's good for Georgia Tech. I, I think it's good for college baseball as a whole to, to see these kind of uh, improvements made anywhere, but uh, especially encouraging to see them at, at, at a place like Georgia Tech. And, you know, it's, uh, I, like you said, Joe, I am pretty high on them for next year. I think a big piece of that is Brant Herter. We, we heard Danny Hall talk about that. And, you know, if you, Brant Herter can be a legit ace for them. If that, if that can happen, uh, you know, I think they're, they can be pretty dangerous next year because, you know, I like the, the pieces of the pitching staff that he laid out. Uh, the offense is going to have to replace Goldberg and Radcliffe, uh, but they get Luke Waddell back. And, you know, that's the guy that makes everything go at Georgia Tech. And then they add in some of these other new pieces and you see some further development from some of the younger guys they were playing this year. And I mean, I just think that they, there's no reason why they can't compete near the top of the ACC next year. Uh, so I, I'm very encouraged by, by what they have. And, um, you know, I'm going to be looking forward to, to seeing them once they get back on the diamond this fall, next year, whenever. Um, Cause I, I, I do think the, the yellow jackets are, are one of the more intriguing teams in the ACC next year. They're not the favorites, that, that, that's not what I mean, but they're, they're a team that I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And, um, you know, especially because they have some of these uncertain, uncertain things, you know, the, we don't know what Brant Herter will look like coming off of Tommy John, but he'll, have, he'll be so far removed from the surgery that you would think he would be pretty much back uh, to a hundred percent, hopefully. And, um, you know, the, some of these freshmen, you, I don't know how Kevin Parada is going to take to the college game, but I know he's a very, very talented player that, that should be able to step right in at Georgia Tech and, uh, you know, produce. And so I, that makes it exciting for me. And, and I'm going to just, like I said, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see where Georgia Tech uh, goes in, in 2021. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, certainly, a um, you mentioned the, the brand part of it, and I think that's right. I, I think it's it's one of those brands that still resonates, even if it's been a while since Georgia Tech has been at the College World Series, and it's it's been a while, even longer than that, since they were uh, truly among the contenders to to win a national title. And some of that is, of course, the players they've had along the way. Even when the the, the wins and losses part of the program dipped, they were still producing a lot of really talented players and putting a lot of players in in pro ball and having high draft picks and and all of that. And so that that certainly helped, I think buoy that brand even when the wins and losses sagged a little bit so now it's uh the challenge for the, for that staff is to kind of match pair those two things clearly the talent piece is still there uh the wins and losses piece in 2019 uh really went in a positive direction we never got to see 2020 but there's a lot of confidence at least for you and i that 2021 is a return to more of what we saw in in 19 to kind of pair the excitement over the, the player piece with the excitement over a winning ball club that could challenge to to win uh, national titles or at the very least put themselves in position to get to Omaha once again. All right, so we'll uh, we'll see where Georgia Tech goes from here and we'll obviously touch more on them as uh, as the season gets closer and then eventually underway uh, the Yellow Jackets will will certainly be coming up again. Right now though, I want to kind of transition us to talking a little bit about summer ball. Uh, which, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is a thing that is happening around the country. Uh, you know, I think that it definitely crept up on me a little bit. Um, 
how how quickly summer ball wa was starting in some places. The Cape, of course, has canceled its season. They they did that a couple months ago, and at that time, I think a lot of people around the around college baseball were in a pretty pessimistic place about uh, you know summer ball that it would either be pretty limited or maybe there wouldn't be any of it at all. And that winds up not really being the case here. Uh, definitely a lot of leagues have canceled, um, but there is there, there have been leagues that have been able to modify their schedule to either get started already or get started within the next week or so. There have been some leagues that have popped up completely new to kind of fill the void and as a result, we are seeing summer ball being played. I wrote about this over at baseballamerica.com last Friday. You can find it. Um, the one, one of the things that I noticed is that you know the leagues that canceled are primarily large leagues from a geographic standpoint, um, or they're leagues that rely on players from all over the country. The leagues that are that are able to play right now generally are pretty compact and you know are relying a lot on local players that means they don't have to have host families that means they don't have to worry about travel issues and that you know multiple different states or municipalities guidelines aren't a concern they just have to figure out how to fit into one state's guidelines for how they're supposed to be operating and you know several of these leagues are just you know single site leagues where they play at one field and those kinds of leagues, uh, it makes the most sense that they would be able to, to play because, again, it's it, it just eliminates a lot of these these variables. And you know, so we're we're seeing leagues from coast to coast that that are playing. Um, you know, some of the ones that are are started already include the Northwoods League, which um, you know it is probably the number two summer league out there behind the Cape. They are on a significantly modified schedule they're doing a regional pod system only one of the pods is underway right now they hope to get some other ones going here in the next week right now they're only in north dakota uh with with a few teams there uh but they're going uh you know we have a couple new leagues uh that, that popped up uh the collegiate baseball league at grand park in indiana Honor the Game League in Mississippi, both uh, are single site leagues that were created for this specific moment. So they're running. Um, and, you know, we, we have some other leagues around the country. And I saw the Futures League today uh, announced that they are going to be able to play. So there will even be uh, summer baseball in New England. Pretty much every other league up there had, had followed the Capes lead and canceled. But the Futures League is is going to make a go of it uh, with some fans in the stands, in fact. So, you know, that that's kind of where summer ball stands right now. It, the it, In terms of the leagues, the the players playing in these leagues, well, that, that kind of varies significantly no longer, or at least not this year. You know, you can't just look at the league name and assume what kind of players are there. So many of these leagues are focused on local players so that they don't have to worry about host families. Uh, so they don't have players coming from all over the country there. Uh, so the the teams, the, the makeup of these teams looks a lot different this year, which is uh, kind of confusing at, at times. Um, you know, you, you just see players playing where 
they were not scheduled to play this summer. And then you also have, it would appear a fair number of players sitting this summer out. That's not necessarily strange. Uh, that happens every summer, but uh, I, I do think maybe when the full accounting is done that more of the top players will, will have sat this summer out than, than what we're used to, but uh, we'll, we'll see as, you know, opening days continue to come in, in these various summer leagues. Joe, you've been tracking this all spring lawn, like the, the efforts of, of these leagues to open. Um, you know, what now, now that we're getting close to the July one date that a lot of leagues had said, I mean, is I, at this point, I think that if they're, if they're still talking about opening, it, it sure seems like the intent is there to play. Yeah, no doubt. And there there were actually some cancellations later in the game than I expected. I think one of my updates to this to the sheet maybe three weeks ago or so had a, a rash of cancellations. And I was like, oh, it feels a little bit, you know, I kind of thought by the time we got to June, if you were going to try to go, you were going to try to go. Just because at some point you do have to kind of call it. Now, to your point, some of these leagues have regionalized to the point where you probably don't need to have as much advance notice for the sake of everyone involved. But I think that's still important to, to kind of give people an expectation. And at this point, a lot of these players are probably on second or third options. And at this point, another cancellation is probably just a wrap for that player, unless he really wants to, to keep searching. But so that, that plays a part as well, I think, in the motivation to try to get these things going. So I think you're right that, um, you know, any, any league that's trying to go now is probably going to give it a go. And I think – that will kind of help the visibility of summer ball because it has kind of crept up a little bit. And some of it I think is just due to the fact that the biggest leagues that are still trying to play, I mean, the Northwoods has started, but their scheduling has gotten wonky enough that it doesn't feel quite so much like a continuous thing, but you know, the coastal plain uh, is, is, you know, going to try to play in the futures is going to try to play and even to some degree, the Texas collegiate league, those are higher profile leagues in the grand scheme of things. Are they the Cape? No, but those are higher profile leagues compared to some of the, the smaller leagues that have cropped up or some of the smaller leagues that already existed. And I think that'll give a little more profile to summer ball at that point. So that will probably change it a little bit. And I'm struck just by, you know, when you talk about what these leagues have, have done to try to make themselves viable by pulling from a smaller pool of players and reducing games and regionalizing games or playing games in a single location, what have you, it, it reminds me of how much the motivations for summer ball have really kind of changed this summer. And summer ball is often about let's, let's try to match like players with like players. You know, you send guys to the Cape who you think are either on that level or who you think can get to that level and you want to kind of expose them to that level. And that kind of filters on down, or you might send a, a player that you want to be closer to home, whether that's for reasons of, you know, you want him to, to work more, with, with your coach or with, with on campus with in the weight room, or, you know, you, you, you're monitoring a little bit in a rehab situation, you might send them to a local league for that reason. There are a lot of reasons why summer ball assignments happen. And that has just gone completely out the window to a large degree. Now it's just find a place to play, get out there, play as much as you can, you know, try to just basically work that muscle again, figuratively, you know, just, just kind of get moving again after having not done so for so long to set yourself and set the program up for success. When you come back in the fall, whatever the, the fall looks like, and much like these pro sports leagues, and we've heard a lot more talk about this in the last 
two or three weeks than we had before. Really the primary goal with a lot of these is let's get in and get out. And summer ball doesn't have some of the fears that the professional leagues do because none of these summer leagues at this point are really overly concerned with let's try to, let's try to shoehorn fans into the stands, although some are going to do that. They don't have that concern to the same way that the NFL does, for example. And they also don't have to worry about getting into the fall or winter where there are worries about does, does the virus come back in even stronger in a stronger way. Theirs is more get in and get out. Like we only have a certain window to, to do this. Um, the players have the uncertainty of what the fall is going to look like. So we need to do this pretty quickly, make it as seamless and easy as possible, and then move on and just say we did what we could do and we made the best of it. And let's look to summer 2021 to actually get back on some sort of semblance of, of normalcy. But all of, all of the typical motivations and uh, reasons why you, you send players certain places or do certain things as summer ball entities have just basically completely shifted for this summer. Yeah, I, talking to some commissioners last week, it, a lot of them, you know, wanted to hold the season because, you know, that's what they do. And, but, but it also was a lot of, I, I heard a lot of, you know, we're hoping that, you know, maybe we can provide some entertainment to the community and provide some sense of normalcy. And, you know, obviously in, in some of these places, the, the summer ball team is a huge part of the summer, you know, the, the Cape, you know, is a, is a, is a big part of the, the summer for the, the, the people up there you know, look at what Savannah has in the Coastal Plain League or, or Macon or, um, you know, just go, go around to some of these various parts of the country with their summer ball teams. Like, they're, they're a really big deal. And, you know, so if they can play on some level, you know, that, that's what they're after. And, you know, no, it won't maybe be the kind of scouting event or the player development event. Maybe this is just more about let's give – kids that want to play baseball an opportunity to play baseball and you know let's try and you know bring some of the the normalcy back as as difficult as that is right now and you know that's part of the reason why some of these leagues have popped up because league organizers saw that there were players who didn't really have a place to play after cancellations or because, you know, they didn't want to go across the country. And, you know, that there are, they, they were, had a place, you know, they had fields. So they were, they, they put a plan into action to create a league. And, you know, the Grand Park League uh, outside of Indianapolis, it's a huge complex. Uh, and, you know, they happen to have Mondays and Tuesdays pretty much open because, you know, they, they run a lot of tournaments there throughout the summer, but Monday and Tuesday, I guess, are not a big tournament day. That's really more of a practice day at the complex, and not that many teams want to practice uh, on, on those days, from what I was told. And, you know, so they, they just thought, like, let's take these two days and run a summer league. And, you know, so the, the league only plays a few games a week. They have the, you know, their they, they want to be flexible to play as many as three games. They, they can play doubleheader one of the days if the pitching is there, or if it's not, you play less games, you know, whatever. They, they make it work within the, the context of those couple days, but, you know, it does give the players an opportunity to get out on the field. And is it normal in any way? No, it's not. But the, they were able to get a lot of the 
best players in Indiana, Ohio. Uh, there's some Louisville kids there in that area of the country. They they really got a lot of the best players there, and, and they're going at it a couple times a week. And you know, so I I think that that's cool that that was able to to be on offer. You know, just because the Prospect League and the Great Lakes League, the two primary uh, leagues in those areas aren't able to play doesn't mean that there aren't ways to make it happen and, and a way was made was they, they found a way at, at Grand Park and uh, so the ingenuity you know I think is appreciated by everyone coaches players um, you know the, the whole nine uh, there so it, it's it's a strange summer it's not like anything else you know we've seen before I don't know how much we're really going to be able to get out of it in terms of information about players. Uh, remember, they've had a few months off, uh, so there's definitely some a, a rust factor here. And then if you're playing in a league that only plays a few games a week, like what does that really mean? How much development uh, can you show in, in that? Um, you know, it, summer is inherently a small sample size to begin with. This is an even smaller one. Uh, because no one's playing a full complement of games. So I don't know how much we're going to learn, but I think it is important that the, the players have the opportunity to go out and play if, if they want to take that opportunity. Yeah, I will be interested in, I will be interested in seeing, you mentioned not necessarily being able to learn too much about players necessarily. And I, and I agree, it's just going to be hard to know if for no other reason, then you've just got such disparate rosters in, in these leagues. So you're, you take some of that like players aspect out of it. But I, I do wonder how much we'll be able to learn about what baseball could look like at the college level moving forward, just in terms of obviously the decisions are ultimately going to come down to the programs and the conferences and, and, and things that are way off the radar from, from summer ball. Nobody is going to be looking at these individual summer leagues necessarily as this is how we can do it, but it could give us a little bit of a, a sneak peek. Um, and certainly we're, we're hoping that everyone can kind of continue to play summer ball in a, in a healthy and safe way. And that, um, that, that, that all goes off with, without a hitch, but you know, I think there probably are a lot of, a lot of people who are, are turning a little bit of an eye to summer ball to see, to see, you know, how they, how they play it, how they're keeping players safe, the kind of things they've done to, to put safeguards in place for the players who committed, not to, not to mention the, the staff and umpires and, and everybody else involved there, many of whom are in, in, in certainly in a higher risk category than these, these young, healthy college kids. So um, I, I think there is a little bit of attention being paid from that standpoint, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that, that anything in college baseball is going to take a cue from summer ball on that standpoint, but it is certainly um, – you know, summer ball is a little bit of an experiment at this point in a number of ways, not the least of which is, you know, trying to make these leagues go, um, which has not necessarily been the easiest thing in, in, a, in a spring and an early summer unlike any other. Yeah, I think the other important thing to note here is that where leagues are going right now primarily is in places that weren't hit that hard initially. Um, you know, so... Massachusetts, for instance, was a place that was hit pretty hard initially, and that's part of the reason why the Cape got canceled. Whereas Florida or Texas initially wasn't, 
And now numbers are on the rise there. And the Florida Collegiate League is scheduled to open next Monday. The Texas League, I believe, is scheduled to open next Wednesday on the 1st. And, you know, in both places, you know, you're seeing rising counts of the virus. And, you know, the the Coastal Plain League is scheduled to open a regional pod for its Georgia and South Carolina teams on the 1st. They aren't sure. They're they're hopeful that they'll have more pods in North Carolina and Virginia for the rest of their teams, but those two states are on a s- slower reopening plan than Georgia and South Carolina. Um, you know, everyone I'm sure by now is aware that the counts are going up primarily in the South, and you know, I th- these commissioners are are not you know they're very aware of that, and, and they're hopeful that you know, they're going to be able to get their stuff in. Uh, I know the Florida State League told, or the Florida League continually do that. Uh, Florida State is the minor league. The Florida League, um, they tested everyone when they arrived for their their spring training um, last week. But, you know, in terms of keeping everyone safe, you know, and, and, and healthy, I mean, that's kind of a moving target right now. We've seen players, football players, basketball players, return to colleges uh, at some places around the country. And then they've had to stop workouts. Kansas State football was, you know, doing voluntary workouts. But after they got up to, I think it was a dozen positive cases, they pressed pause on workouts for two weeks to try and figure out what what was going wrong and, and how they could stop that number from continuing to climb you know i've seen reports that lsu has like 30 players in quarantine either because of a positive test or because of um you know coming into contact with people with a positive test and clemson has 23 i think positive tests and you know so as we've seen just because you start doesn't mean you can continue or that everyone's going to stay healthy. So it's a, it's a thing that that I think is going to be continued to be monitored at all of these leagues. Um, You know, I don't know of anyone that's doing any sort of, you know, the, the, the testing that say MLB is proposing doing uh, if they're able to start their season, but you know, in in the summer ball space, but it is, uh, it it is something that has to be monitored as, as uh, these leagues, continue to to push towards opening day or, or or start playing against the backdrop of the the viruses you know continued spread i guess I mean, it is still a pandemic and, and you know that that does have to be considered and, and it is something that that these commissioners are thinking about i would say yeah, and it's, uh, I mean this is really putting the cart ahead of the horse and it, it, not to not to end this this conversation on, on, a, on a down note, but it, it is kind of a reminder that the football news about camps, you know, being rolled back or being put on pause or, or what have you, um, it, it really is kind of a stark reminder of how tenuous the college baseball season, the college basketball season, the college anything season is. If we go into a fall where college football starts and then for some reason has to stop or has to abort their season altogether and then college basketball maybe doesn't start on time or doesn't start at all or there's a lot of really dire scenarios there that I don't even really want to think about but I think the reality of what we've seen with some of these some of these testing numbers and look you know testing numbers um, 
you know, many of the players are, are asymptomatic and that the testing numbers could be a lot better. I mean, the high testing numbers now doesn't necessarily portend um, a doomsday scenario. However, it is just a sign that um, it all is very tenuous and this all could change on a dime. And that, you know, you and I, because it's our, our jobs and because we're, we're, we have to move in that direction, I've been talking a lot about what 2021 is going to look like when the reality of the situation is we don't really have any idea what 2021 is going to look like because we, we are not in charge. Ultimately, the NCAA and the schools and the conferences and these programs are not in charge. Ultimately, a virus that we cannot see and uh, you know, can't really do much about in this moment is, is ultimately gonna be in charge. And we will have to, to see how that plays out throughout uh, the rest of this year and into next. That is, uh, that is certainly the, the, about the lay of the land right now. So we're, um, we're obviously, as long as they're, they're playing summer baseball, we're, we're monitoring it, um, still kind of mapping out coverage. So if anyone has um, wishes, for, for college summer league coverage, uh, please let me or Joe know. Um, you know we're we're still figuring out how to best cover summer baseball in this unique summer. Uh, we definitely want to do so and and, and bring you coverage of, of what's happening out there. Uh, so again, if you have ideas or wishes, uh, please let us know. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA on Twitter. Uh, there you can find both of our email addresses as well. If you're so inclined to, uh, to do that, do not send me snail mail. I'm, I'm not going to be in the office to, to check my mailbox. Um, I'm actually, well, I, I'm actually going to go on record and say you can send me snail mail. Okay. Like, so um, if now I'm not going to check the box, but I'm going to like, we have some people <laughs> that go in the office periodically. So maybe I'll make sure to ping them to check to see if we've received some <laughs> snail mail. So if you take the step to send me snail mail, I would appreciate it. And I will, uh, I will read it. I will say quickly, you know, the, the, the league closest to us out here is Coastal Plain, and they're still working on the plan moving forward for the northern teams in, in North Carolina and Virginia. So it kind of remains to be seen what that is. Those are the teams that are most local to us. But, but I will say I, I'm, uh, you know, usually when we get to this time and, and you, you feel the same where we're coming off the College World Series and you just kind of need some time to, to take a breath. And then, you know, ultimately after a little while you end up going to the Cape and, you know, I'll start following summer ball a little bit more and, and we, we get ready for the fall, but there is kind of that breather time, but I will say I'm excited for whatever it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope uh, to get to actually go to summer ball and, and uh, you know, sit or stand or do whatever in a socially distanced and responsible manner at some point this summer. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, from a professional standpoint, because this is my job, yes, but also just as a baseball fan, I think that would be pretty cool. So I'm definitely looking forward to to that and, and hopeful that we, uh, at least in this neck of the woods, we get to, to do a little bit of that in the not so distant future. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll certainly see where the, the Coastal Plain League goes. Um, I know they're hopeful, but, you know, again, the, they just have to they're one of the bigger leagues that's still, you know, out there trying to do stuff. And, and the, the trouble is that they have these multiple different States, you know, that they're, they're, they're working with. And then, you know, the other thing is that they've already had four teams, I think it is say that they're not playing this summer regardless. And one of them is in Florence, South Carolina. They use a local college stadium. College is closed. They don't have a stadium. They, they decided they weren't, going to be able to play 
a couple of them, including the team closest to us here, Holly Springs, which is outside of Raleigh. And then there's a team outside of Richmond, Virginia. And those two places, you know, are, have higher test counts and, and other of the, you know, so it, within the league, I was told they have, the, those two markets have some of the highest metrics in terms of the virus. And so they decided they weren't going to play. And so, you know, it's, uh, everyone's just kind of on their, you know, doing their best um, to, to make things work in this time. And, uh, you know, so again, we're hopeful that, that summer ball as it stands can continue to, to go on and um, go off without a hitch. And we'll, uh, we'll be ready for it uh, and hoping to, uh, to be able to see some of it and, and certainly cover it over at baseballamerica.com. You can also find at the website plenty of other content, Joe's series, uh, the Stockwatch uh, conference. Uh, every conference's Stockwatch over the last five years continues. Uh, my Coaching Confidential series wrapped up last week. And uh, we'll have plenty more uh, continuing coverage uh, throughout the summer. And uh, so if, you, uh, if you're looking for it over at the website, hopefully you can find something to keep you, uh, keep you entertained because that's what Joe and I are, are here for. Uh, we will be back here on the podcast uh, on Friday. We're going to hopefully wrap up our uh, classic team, well, not hopefully, we are wrapping up our, our, our rewatching classic games series. Uh, this week we'll, uh, you know, we'll have another episode for you and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably have something new to, to come uh, as, as we get into the summer here. But um, first we have to, uh, to do one more of these, these episodes looking back at at classic games or teams from college baseball history, which have been a lot of fun uh, throughout the spring for, for Joe and I to be able to, you know, throw on an old game and, and take a walk back down memory lane. It's, uh, it's been enjoyable for us. So hopefully it's been enjoyable uh, for you, the listener as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk to you guys then. Uh, Till then, uh, please, uh, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. And again, you can do that on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts, you can find us. So thank you again to Georgia Tech coach Danny Hall for joining us. Thank you, Joe, for joining me. Thank you guys for listening. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.